You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. In chapter 6 in Mark, and I have poured over this chapter. We've been in this chapter together for about five weeks. And I'd like to call this chapter the chapter of conflict. I mean, it is one difficult thing to the next. It's really a difficult chapter covering one bad thing to the next. Jesus, it starts off with Jesus being rejected in Nazareth, where he grew up, rejected from his family and his friends and the townspeople. His disciples go out from there and proclaim the gospel, and they are rejected. Uh, John the Baptist is killed. Uh, 5,000 people are without food. The disciples are caught in, uh, yet again, another terrible storm that we uh, talk about today. And the chapter ends with this scene of all the townspeople gathering together in the town and bringing all their sick people and just lining the streets with sick people. I mean, this chapter is just a chapter filled with conflict. It's wearisome if you read it. But as you might expect, there's also good news found in this chapter. Good news in the midst of the literal storm in which they find themselves in. But what is surprising is where they find the good news, where the good news comes from. And now I want to remind you as we're reading this story, uh, it's a gospel narrative. Uh, A narrative is really a a retelling of eyewitness testimony of what has truly happened. And when you're reading a narrative, often uh, if you want to find the heart or the meaning of the author, of what the author is trying to communicate, you go to the details, you go to the dialogue. It's, it's, the author is drawing us into those portions of the story so that we know what we are to focus on. So we ask ourselves, what is spoken? What details are given? And what does it mean for us? You remember this is the second time we're coming across a, a storm that Jesus calms. And last time there was tremendous detail about the storm. There's a lot of back and forth and dialogue uh, between Jesus and the disciples, even dialogue between Jesus and the storm. Jesus rebukes the storm and calms the storm. Uh, there's detail given as to the, the waves are coming into the boat and crashing into the boat and filling up the boat with water and threatening to break apart the boat. Because what we are wanting to hear there is that Jesus has power over the natural world. He has power over the storm itself. But not so much in this story. The author, Mark, doesn't draw our attention to the storm. I mean, Mark actually brushes over it. It's really interesting. There is a storm and then there isn't. Mark just says there's a storm, Jesus gets in the boat, and the storm is over. And you would think with something so spectacular that he would give us more detail. But we're not meant to focus on the storm here. Mark is drawing our focus to the details and the dialogue. And so let's go to where he takes us. Let's go to where he takes us. Let's look at the details and the dialogue in this passage. First, the details. The focus of this story shifts to this strange movement of Jesus from the hillside, down the mountain, and then walking on top of the water and his movement from that hillside to where the boat is. We are told during the fourth watch, this happens at about three in the morning, they've been wrestling with the sea for hours now. They are tired and weary, and Jesus walks towards them on top of the water. But here is where the story gets strange. Mark tells us in verse 48, you can look down again at that. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. This is strange, isn't it? You're reading this story. 
It's not, it doesn't go how you think it might go. Jesus glances on his friends. He sees them in great distress, and he walks by them and intends to pass them. What a strange thing. He isn't, it's not immediately clear why he would do that. And that's the question we ask. The question we ask is, why would Jesus attempt to do this? Why, in seeing his friends in such great trouble, attempt to pass them in this storm? Did he forget to turn? Was he, doing a, was he showing them a trick? What was happening? Well, the only way to understand Scripture is with other Scripture. To understand confusing parts of Scripture, we look at more clear parts of Scripture in order to interpret the unclear parts. And believe it or not, the Bible gives us a very good picture of this strange posture of Jesus and this strange movement of Jesus on the sea. It has to do with God. It has to do with the way that God communicates to his people to remind them that he is with them and he is present with them and he cares for them deeply. You see, in the Old Testament, we see a picture of God. God reveals himself to his people. And let me remind you that God is spirit. God is invisible. He has taken on flesh in the person and work of Jesus Christ. But before that, he is spirit. But at times, he would make himself visible to his people. But only through images. He became visible through pillars of smoke and the burning bush and pillars of burning, burning torches. And these are ways of God of showing to his people through images that I am, uh, here is who I am and what I am like. And he would tell his people, I'm with you, you are not alone, and I am God. And Moses, if you recall, uh, possibly growing very discouraged in his life as God is called into a very difficult and fearful task of, of, of releasing God's people from slavery, he pleads with God at one point, and he says, will you please show yourself to me? Will you please show me that the one who is calling me to do these things is God, is Yahweh, is the one who has created me and has power over all of the creation, so that I'm not afraid, but can you show me, because I've never seen you. And God says, I can't do that. Because if I show you my face, you will die. My, my glory is too good. You are too sinful. You are but man and I am God. And the, the chasm between us two is, is so great that if I were to show you my true glory, it would kill you in an instant. Because you're, you could not take it. You could not take it. But here's what I can do. I can, I can put you in a crack of a rock, in a mountain, and I could take my hand and cover your face and your eyes, and I will pass by you. And when I pass by you, at the very end, I'll lift my hand, and you will catch a glimpse of my back. But that's all I can show you. But in seeing me, as I pass by you, you will know that it is I. I am God, and I'm with you. And I haven't forgotten you. And the one who calls you to action, the one who gives you commands, it is Yahweh. And he does that. And possibly the closest uh, similarity to our passage is found in Job chapter 9. Job, in his distress, remember what happens to Job? He, everything is taken from him, his family, his uh, health, his livelihood, his property. Everything is destroyed. And he asks God this. 
Who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea? Behold, he passes by me, and I see him not. He moves on, but I did not perceive him. Job is saying, in my time of distress, I see God passing by me, but he keeps going, and and he passes by, he walks upon the water. Has he forgotten me? Has he left me in my distress? I hope you're catching on here and starting to see some of the similarities of what Mark is wanting us to see about Jesus. Our Sunday morning sermons now are going to be a little bit more short, a little shorter for the time being. And so in this new format, I want to move quickly onto it. And here it is. Here's what we see in this passage. The stunning thing about this story is not that Jesus walks on water. The stunning thing is not that he calms the sea. The stunning thing here is that we have a whole, the holy and perfect and creator God wants to reveal himself to us and he wants us to know that he is with us and cares for us and has not forgotten us. And he has gone to great lengths to make it happen. God is holy and weighty. He is entirely other. He is the one who is, is beyond compare. He is the one that moves mountains. He is the one who declares uh, to the heavens to decorate themselves in glorious light. He is the one who gives life to all creatures. He is the one who walks upon the water and feeds the multitudes. And when Jesus comes down the mountainside towards his distressing friends and he attempts to walk by them. He intends to make the once hidden God visible in a present way that has never been present before. And then we come to the dialogue. And Jesus says, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Literally in the Greek, he is saying, Ego eimi, I am. It is the name that God loves to use for himself. All throughout the Old Testament, the name of God, Yahweh, which is translated nothing more than I am who I am. It is God saying whenever he presents himself to his people, he is saying, It is I. When Moses says, who should I tell them who sent me? And he says, tell them I am sent you. Tell them it is I. It is the God of all. It is the holy and perfect and creator God. It is God's favorite name for himself in the Bible. And when Jesus approaches his terrified friends, he says, take heart. I am It is I. Do not be afraid. Please listen and seek to understand what Mark is wanting us to know. God does not merely look upon our struggle from a distance. He enters our struggle. He assures us that it is He who is with us. And in the darkest part of the night when they were exhausted, out of energy completely, struggling with the waves for hours and in deep despair, it is here that God says, I am with you. The awesome, majestic, 
glory of God whose face alone would destroy anyone who looked at it is now shrouded in the humanity of Christ. And on the cross when Jesus died, we see that Jesus takes upon our sins which exhaust us, the sins which fill us with guilt, the sin that destroys our lives and gives us great despair. And he says to us, I am with you. Do not be afraid. There's no truer a picture and more purer of a picture of who God is and what he is like than in Jesus Christ. There is no greater way of understanding how God feels about us than in the work of Jesus Christ. You see, even Jesus' disciples misunderstood this, and even Philip would come to Jesus and say, when are we going to see God? And, And Jesus says, don't you get it? Haven't you learned anything? If you are with me, then you have seen God. There is no better picture of God's love and work than in what I do and say. But so often, when Jesus comes to us and and reveals himself to us, we respond like the disciples, hardened in our hearts, as our passage says, short in our understanding, because we do not believe that he can help us. It's only when Jesus joins his disciples in the boat that the storm ceases. There's something great to see here. And that is, being with Jesus is not simply a theoretical truth. Being with God and enjoying His presence isn't boiled down to learning doctrine and truths about God. Being with God and having a relationship with God is not merely an emotional experience. To be with Jesus is to come, literally, into the presence of God who is untouchable. And to come in His presence and to not be afraid. To be with Jesus is to be with God. And this happens when God removes our hardened heart and gives us a new heart, gives us a believing heart, a heart of faith, a heart that knows and believes and rests in Him. The disciples didn't understand what was happening when the 5,000 were fed. They didn't understand when Jesus walked on the water. They didn't understand when Jesus attempted to move past them. They didn't understand when He called Himself, I am. They didn't get it when he stepped into the boat and the winds died down. Thankfully, Jesus wasn't finished with them, and he's not finished with you. Daily, he desires to show himself to us, showing himself to us, and desiring for us to know who he is, that he is sufficient. His work is sufficient for our acceptance into relationship with God, that his power is sufficient for our fears that his peace is sufficient for our, the chaos in our life, that to be with him is all that we need, and we don't need to be afraid. And this is a time where the word of God is the most relevant thing that we will read at any given moment. We are reminded that his word is the most relevant thing we will think about all day. There may be fears that you have. Maybe there's lack of understanding or just an unsettled heart Maybe there's just an unexplained angst and discomfort. And you might feel like Job. You might think, I see you walking on the water, but I just see you walking past me. 
and we look upon Christ and we are reminded that God does not walk past us. He's simply showing us that he is with us. And we don't need to be afraid. God reveals himself to us now in a way, in a tangible and visible way at his table. We come to be reminded of the good news and we come to rest in his good work for us. A visible and tangible expression of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Friends, we come to this table and are reminded that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, after giving thanks, he takes bread and he breaks it. That was broken at the first service. It was broken for you, and he says, this is my body broken for you. Take of it, all of you. Eat and remember what I have done for you. That I have not walked past you, but I've entered into your unrest. I've entered into your sin and your pain. I've entered into the darkest part of your night, and I've taken on your sin, and I died on the cross for you. And likewise, he takes the cup and says, this cup is the, is, is the new covenant in my blood, shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Take of it, all of you, and as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What is he saying? He is saying as we remember what he has done for us, we remember that he is present with us now in, in spirit and through, by his grace and through faith, that one day we will be with him forever, not only in spirit, but also in body. And sin will be no more. And so, friends, do not be afraid. Have courage. God is with us. Don't be afraid. Do you know Jesus in this way? Are you still lacking in understanding? Do you have a hard heart that is, it is unable to comprehend what it means to know and rest in Jesus? Well, he makes himself known to you now. He reveals himself in no greater way than on the cross, where God's love is poured out for us. His arms are stretched wide for us and says, this is how much I love you. These are the lengths that I have gone to show you that I am with you and you do not have to be afraid. Bring your sin, bring your need, bring all of your unrest, and don't be afraid. For he loves you and feast on him.